well, we've had one week of our series so far. Uh, and then last week we didn't have church, so you guys gave me uh, two weeks to prep for this. So it's going to be a long one, so talk to uh, no. um, But uh, we're going to be in Second Samuel chapter 11. So this series that we've been called, we've called it Growing from Failures. And so obviously in our life we want to grow from our own failures, but what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at the worst failures in Scripture, and we've been trying to learn and grow from those failures. And so tonight we're going to see another failure. Before last week, or two weeks ago, I guess now, we talked about uh, Joshua. We talked about the failure of overconfidence. We talked about how it's okay to be confident as long as you're confident in the right person, and that person is Jesus Christ, right? And so tonight we're going to be talking about the failure of lust. Gabby and I, uh, we like to go out to eat. Uh, I like to go out to eat probably too much. And uh, so we like to go out to eat, uh, and, and when we go out to eat, we like to try new things, we like to try new places, uh, we like to try different foods. Uh, but most of the time, and I, I have this problem, right, it, it, and every time we go out to eat, um, it goes the exact same way every single, almost every single time, with a few exceptions. We'll sit down at the table, right, and we'll get ready to order, and I'll have a menu, right, in my hand, I'll be looking through, trying to figure out what I want to eat, and I try to stay with some things that, that I feel like I'm going to like, right? I, I try to stick with things that are familiar, and Gabby always picks the things that are, like, way out there, like, I don't know if I want to try that, okay? So she, she, she's looking at the menu, I'm looking at the menu, I'm trying to figure out, and I always, I, I pick what I want, the waitress comes back, right? And, and so I'm looking at the menu, and I say, I think I'm going to have this right here, and, and she says, okay, I'll bring that out to you, and Gabby tells her what, what she wants. She goes back in, and Gabby and I were having our conversation, they bring the food out to us, right, and they put the food on the table, and I begin to eat my food, and, and it's okay, right, and I'm, I'm, I'm tasting it, you know, it's, it's all right, you know, I'm liking it, I'm eating it, and Gabby will ask me, would you like to try mine? I say, sure, I'd love to, and I try hers, and I almost always end up saying this phrase, I wish I would have gotten that, right, almost every single time, because what I have, it's okay, it's all right, and so what I've learned now is I've learned that when we go out to eat, whenever she orders, I just say, you know, I'll have the same thing. Um, <laughs> I make her go first, uh, but but I always end up wanting what she got. Isn't that just like us as human beings, right? We always want what the other person, well, we always want what the other person ha- has in their life, right? It's just like we are. We've turned to this word, when I said that we're going to be learning about the failure of lust tonight, most of you either turned me off or you got really uncomfortable, right? Because we've turned the word lust into a, a purely just a sexual term, right? We've, we've made it something that's really uncomfortable, but that's not the kind of, that's the kind of lust we're going to be studying, but it's not the kind of lust that I'm talking about, because lust can mean a lot of things. So the definition of lust that we're going to be going with tonight, here's, here's what I've put together as our definition of lust that we're going to go with, tonight, okay? Lust is a desire to have something that God, in his sovereignty, has not chosen to give. A desire to have something that God has not chosen to give to you. And when we define lust that way, we all struggle with it, right? It may not be the lust that we all think of. It may, it may not be the lust of looking at someone in an inappropriate way. But but your when we define lust that way, then, then you wishing that you could be as attractive as that other person becomes a lust. You looking at how successful someone else is and wishing that you had their success becomes lust. You looking at somebody else's wife obviously becomes lust. Anything that you look at, you're know, oh man, I want that, I want that, I wish God would give it to me, I want that, I want that, that becomes lust. See, every single one of us struggle with lust. It's just, it just matters what, what we're lusting after. This is why in the book of James, James says, he's talking about prayer, right? And he says, you ask 
and you receive not. Why? Because you ask, because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own. What's the last word? Love. James says, look, you're praying about all these things. You're praying because you want them. You're praying. You're asking God to give you all of these things, but you're not receiving them because you're asking amiss. You're asking in vain just because you want to fulfill your own lusts, your own desires to have something that God has not given. So we're looking at the failure of lust in Second chapter 11, right? And we're studying, obviously we're studying David in the past. Pretty familiar passage, right? We know that David, he's the king of Israel. He's been chosen by God to be the next king of Israel after Saul. And so David's been king. He's been king for a while now. He he's, he he's kind of knows the ropes, right? And so look at verse number one. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when the kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rubah. But David tarried still in Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent the messengers and, and took her, she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her, unclean, from her uncleanliness, and she returned to her own house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, and said, I am the child. David, the greatest king that Israel had had up to this point, and, and I believe had has ever had a, a, other than Jesus, commits this awful, terrible thing. Why? Because he wanted something that God had chosen not, not to give. So tonight we're going to be studying this story, and I don't normally do this, but I'm going to tell you the direction that we're going to go with this story, okay? Tonight we're going to, we're going to answer three questions. We're going to ask ourselves, why did David give in to his lust? Why did David give in to his desire? Then we're going to ask, what did David do when he gave in to that desire? And then we're going to ask, what can we learn about God from this story, right? Because last time I said, we have two goals in this series, right? Our first goal is to learn and grow from these failures, and our second goal is to kind of learn and grow our view of God and learn about what, what God's heart is in the midst of our failures. And so as we look at the failure of lust tonight, ask you to keep your heart open and see what God has for you. Let's pray real quick before we get in. Father, thank you for this time that we have together. I pray that you teach us, first of all, what we can do to prevent something like this tragedy from happening to us, and also help us to learn something about it. I pray things in Jesus' name. Amen. So why did David give in to his lust? Well, there are three things that, that, I, that I see from this text of why David gave in to his lust. First of all, he put himself in a position to give in. Look at verse number one. It says, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle. Now this is really important, because, and I love it when, when the scripture gives us a, 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 an insight of what these, these characters are going through. Because David, right, we know David, he's the king. He, he, he was chosen to be king after Saul, because Saul was kind of a dud, right? So Saul, he's the king, and, and, and then God replaces Saul with David after Saul, Saul's big sin, right? And so David, he's the king, right? And it says that this is the time when the kings, David's the king, go forth to battle. And what we also know about David is that David is a warrior, right? We know that from, from earlier in 1 Samuel that David kills Goliath as probably about a 16-year-old boy. David killed his first person when he was about 16 years old. So David, he's a warrior. He, he's not some wimp like sitting up in a capsule. No, this dude has killed 
multiple people. Remember in First Samuel 17, it talks about how the people made a song and they were singing about, yes, yeah, Saul has slayed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, right? And so David, he's a war. Like, this is the guy that when Saul said, hey, David, do you want to marry my daughter? Okay, you have to go out and you have to kill a hundred Philistines by yourself because Saul wanted David to die, right? And then David goes out and he does it. He kills a hundred Philistines and Saul's like, well, now what do I do? But so, so, so David, right, he's kill, he kills people. Like, that's what he, he's done for almost his whole life. And so this is the time when the kings go forth to battle. Like, this is, this is, this is up David's alley, right? He's the king. He's a warrior. Like, he should be there. But look at verse number one at the end. The verse says he sends Joab and he sends all the armies of Israel. The end of verse number one, but David carried still in Jerusalem. Like, no, David, you're supposed to be in the battle. David, you're supposed to be, this is the time when the kings go forth to battle. David, you're the king. You're a warrior. You're supposed to be in battle. But David said, no, no, no. I'll send Joab. I'll send the rest of Israel. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay in Jerusalem. I'm going to stay in my palace. I'm going to stay here. And if David, look, if David would have just done what he was supposed to do, and if he would have gone to battle, this whole entire thing that, that ruined his family could have been avoided if he would have just been where God wanted to be. See, many times in our life, we can avoid giving in to our own lust if we would just purposefully stay away. Because some of us, we, we put ourselves in situations that, that allow us to, that encourage us to give in to our own lives. Like we, we, we struggle with thinking inappropriately about people, but, but then we, we, we look at the movies that we watch on TV and the music that we listen to and it's just feeding those thoughts. Like, we know we struggle with jealousy. We know we struggle that when we see that girl on Instagram that, that's beautiful, we, we struggle with, with coveting and envying. Like, man, I wish I had her looks. And yet we scroll for hours upon hours on Instagram. Like, like we, 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 we wish that we had the success that that person has. And we know that when we look at the magazines, we, we, we see these people that are super successful and they have all the money. And we know, we know that when we look at these things, we're going to struggle with that, that coveting, that lust. But we do it. Anyway, when's the last time that, that you didn't do something that you wanted to do because you know it could lead you to, not because it was sin, but you knew it could lead you to giving in to your own blood? The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 15.33, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. What Paul was telling the church form is, look, if you hang out with these people, it's going to lead you to do evil things. And so don't hang out with those people if you don't want to do evil things. Well, the same thing can be applied to our lust. Look, if you don't want to give in to your lust, then don't do that thing that leads you to falling into your lust. Stay away from it. Flee from it. But David didn't. He decided he's going to stay in Jerusalem. And I caution you. Look, I'm not a legalist, right? I, I don't think that we should just have standards to have standards, but I do think we should have standards to help that keep you from doing evil. But David, he stayed in Jerusalem. He, he, he put himself in a situation to fail, but also... He didn't listen to the people that God had put around him. Look back at the passage. Look at verse number three. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is this is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Like this servant, David, he's like, man, that girl, she's attractive, right? Uh, I, I'm going to think I'm going to ask a few questions. So he starts asking around. And one of his servants goes, David, David, hey, hey, hang on, ho, 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 hang on, hang on. That's like somebody else's wife. Like, you know, like, that's, that's, that's Uriah's wife. You can't, you can't just do whatever you want. Like, look, David, there's, there, there's laws, right? You can't just disobey God like that. And the servant, he's trying to tell, like, trying to encourage David, hey, don't do this because that would be wrong. But David doesn't, he doesn't listen. He, he doesn't listen to the person that God put 
in his life. You see, God loved David so much that he put people in his life that would keep him from doing evil things. And God has done that. I was talking to the teenagers this week about that, about influence. Like God has put people in your life to prevent you from doing evil, wicked things. And he's put them there not because he hates you, because he loves you and he knows what sin will do to you. And so he's put people in your life. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening to the people that tell you to stay away from those lusts that you struggle with, those desires that you struggle with? Are you listening to it? So first of all, he, he put himself in a situation of failure. He, he didn't listen to those that God put around him to encourage him to do the right thing. But then also, it was a lack of thing. Look, this isn't in the passage, but we know that up until this point, we're not sure exactly how many wives David had. But we do know that he had uh, a lot, right? <laughs> we know that he had, up until this point, there's seven of them named in Scripture, right? We have Mike, Michael, um, Abigail, Anoiam, uh, Makkah, uh, Higgith, uh, Abtal, and Eglah. Now, why David would marry a girl like Eglah, like, with a name like Eglah? I don't know, but I'm sure she had a beautiful personality. Um, <laughs> kidding. Um, but, right, David... He's got seven wives. That's six more than I have, right? Like, he, he's got seven wives. Seven. Not one. Seven. And yet he looks at someone else and he says, no, I, I, I think I will. Look, every sin, not, not some, every sin that you struggle with is because of a lack of sin. Because God has given us so much. God has given us so much that if you go out of, of what God's given you to sin in order to get it, because you're not thankful for what God did. I wonder, when's the last time that, that you were coveting someone's looks? You need to stop thanking God. Yeah. Like, when's the last time, guys, that, that, that you saw a woman that was attractive and you stopped and you said, no, that's not right, and you thanked God for your wife? Because I really believe that if we stopped and if we thanked God for what God has already given us, it, it would stop us from making a lot of really dumb. <laughs> In Romans chapter 1, Paul's writing to the Roman people. He's talking about mankind. He's talking... He's talking about people as a whole, and he's talking about how evil and wicked people have become, right, in Romans chapter 1. And here's what he says. He says, because that, this is the reason they were evil. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither Like, their, their lack of thankfulness was what led them to living lives separated from, away from God. And I wonder, is your lack of thankfulness, because a lack of thankfulness will lead you to fulfilling your own and so what's our key thought? Why did David fail? And so what we can learn from this is not to put ourselves in situations that bring us closer to our own desires, but to surround ourselves with people that bring us closer to God's desires and thank God for what he's already done. And if you would just do that, it would keep you from making a lot of really dumb mistakes. So we see why David gave into his own lust. But then, what did David do when he gave into his Right, because David, he doesn't listen to the servant, the servant, right? And the servant is telling him, like, hey, David, that's somebody else's wife. And David, he goes, he gets Bathsheba, he commits this awful, terrible, wicked thing that he does, right? Most of us know the story. And he ends up getting another man's wife, right? Like the greatest king of Israel, and he commits this awful crime. And so David, like, he's, he's in a dark place. He messed up really bad. Like, he sinned against his God. And so what does David do? He, he goes to God. And he repents and he says, God, I did this wicked thing. No, that's not what David does. Right? That's not what he does. Because verses uh, verses 6 through 13 
of this chapter is David making a desperate attempt to cover up what he did, right? He, he, he brings Uriah, her, Bathsheba's wife, back from the battle. And so Uriah comes in, and so David's like, hey, Uriah, while you're here, your wife is back home, so why don't you go down and spend some time with your wife and, and trying to encourage him to go down so he can cover up what he did. And so, and Uriah says, no, I can't do that because Uriah, he was a, he was a, right, he was a just man, right? And so he, he did the right thing. He, no, my, my buddies, they're, they're all out, out of battle. I, I can't go home and be with my wife. No, I, I'm going to stay in the palace while you have me here. And so the next night, right, David... He tries to get Uriah drunk, and he does. He gets Uriah drunk, and so then he, he sends Uriah. He tries to get Uriah to maybe go back to his house, and Uriah, no, no, I'm going to stay here with, with my fellow soldiers. My other soldiers are back. They're back at the battle, and so I can't do that. And so the last thing David does in a desperate attempt to cover up him falling, he sends Uriah back to the letter, Joah. And the letter says, hey, look, when, when, when so I want you to send Uriah to the, heatest, the, the most heated part of the battle. And I want you to put him out front. And then I want you to take all the men, and I want you to move all the men back so that Uriah dies. And then after Uriah dies, I'm going to marry Bathsheba, and, and, and everything will be okay. And nobody will that he doesn't tell Joab that. And so he does. He sends Uriah to the front of the battle. Everybody else retreats except for Uriah, and Uriah is killed. So David has just got another man's wife pregnant, and now he's murdered an innocent in cold blood. Like this is impediment that God at one point called him a man of God, and now he's really, really. Because when you try to cover up your sins and your lusts, your desires, you will never, never, never prosper. Ever. <laughs> but this is what David tries to do, right? He tries to cover up his sin. And this is so much like us. Like some of you in here, you're, you're, you're trying to cover up your own sin, right? Because you don't want your wife to find out. Like you don't want your friends to find out. You don't want Pastor Yoder to find out. Like you don't want people to find out the things that you struggle with, the thoughts that you think you don't want people to find out. And so you spend your entire life trying to live this double life and, and having these thoughts in your head, like these insecurities in your head because you think she's so attractive and you want her looks or you think she's attractive and or you wish you weren't married or you wish you were married and you're trying to, to cover up these thoughts and act like you are perfectly fine, but on the inside you know that you're struggling. Like you're trying to do what David did. And David tried to cover up his own sin and it just led him deeper and deeper until it destroys Hey, I was reading about Eskimos. <laughs> I was reading about Eskimos. And Eskimos have this weird way of, of killing wolves, right? Because you can't just go out and stab a wolf, right? Because they will eat you. And, and so uh, he, so what they would do is they would grab, they would get seals, right? And they would kill the seal. And so they'll dip the blood, dip the knife in seal blood. And then they'll go out of their little hut, right? And they'll, and they'll bury the knife in the snow so that the blade is sticking up out of the snow. And that blood will freeze to that knife, right? And so then the wolves, right, they smell the blood. And so they come running, like me when there's culvers. And so they, they come out, they're running, right? And they try to get that blood that's frozen to that knife. And so when they get to the knife, right, they start licking it. They're, they're, they're having, like, a time, right? They're, they're licking this blood because it's delicious to them. And so they keep licking and they keep licking until the, the blade of that knife is frozen. And so they'll keep licking, keep licking. And then all of a sudden, like, the blood's warm, Right? And so they keep licking and keep licking, and all of a sudden they, they start to feel weak. Like they're they're not getting stronger from licking this; they're they're getting weaker. And but they, but 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 they're, so they're like, okay, well, I need more blood, right? Because I'm getting weaker, and so they keep licking, keep licking, and so all of a sudden they never realize that it, it was their own blood because that blade of the knife was. And they keep licking and keep licking until they bleed out and they die. And some of them, that's happening to us because there's this thing that we think is really good, or, or we think it's not that harmful, right? And so we keep going back 
to it, and we're trying to cover it up with, with, with acting like, oh, we're perfect, we have a great walk with God, like everything's going good, and we're trying to cover it up, when, on the, when in reality, you're killing it. Like, you're destroying your life. You're destroying your marriage. You're destroying your relationships with people, and you're destroying your relationships with God. All because of something that you feel like is like, God said it like. I find it interesting that often we try to do the same thing David did, right? We try to cover up our sin. We try to cover up what we did, or we try to cover up what we struggle with. We try to cover up that sin that we did. And the entire time that we're trying to cover that thing up, we're trying to do something that we can never do. Because God always God always sees what you do that late night and nobody else. God sees the thoughts that go through your head. God sees everything. And what God can't do, God can't just forget it, right? God can't just say, okay, well, you know what? I'll let you into heaven anyway. Like, that was pretty bad, but I'll let you in because you're not as bad as some other people. No, God doesn't forget it. He always sees it and he always remembers it. And what you are trying to do, every time you try to cover up your sin, you are trying to do something that only Jesus can do. Right? That's what the word atonement. It means that Jesus, in his death on the cross, he covered our sins. He, he, he was the sacrifice for our sin. And when we accept Jesus, what happens? Now God, because Jesus' blood, it covers our sins. Now God looks at us as if we're righteous, right? We have the righteousness of Jesus on our account. And so whenever we try to cover up our sins, we're trying to do something that only Jesus, only Jesus can cover you. And that's why the Bible says in Proverbs 28, he that covers his sin, like you, you can't continue to fake it all your life. You'll never fall. So now, what's Jesus done? He's given us a church. What a good idea. He's given us a church that we can come to. And the Bible says this in James 5, 6. It says, confess your faults one to another. Like, a lot of times when, when we sin and when we give into our own lust like David did, we're okay, i got to confess it to God, get it right with God, and then and then everything's good and I'm okay. But that's not what James 5, 5 said. Like, it's good. Like, that's what we need to do. We need to confess our faults to God. We need to confess our sins, right? Confess your sins and God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. No, right? We know that. We know that we need to confess our sins to God, but then James 5 says that we need to confess our faults one to another. Like when you're struggling with something, you go to your brother in Christ and say, hey man, could you pray for me? Right, because I'm struggling with it, and I know I can't battle it alone. And so the God's given me a church to go to, and so I'm just asking you, would you please pray for me? When's the last time that, that there was something that you were struggling with in your mind, that, that lust came back, and, and you're struggling with that desire to have something that God has not chosen to give you, and you went to your brother or your sister in Christ, and you said, hey, Something that not a lot of us don't really think about. And so my question is, what are you covering that only Jesus... And if you're covering something that only Jesus can cover, confess it to him. Confess it to somebody else. Get help. Get over it. Like, get through it. Don't spend your whole life having this thing in your mind that, that you could have gotten victory over throughout your life and then let it ruin your marriage and your relationships and your friendships and your relationships. Because if you try to cover your sin like David did, you'll never, never fall. So we've seen why David fall, fell into his life. You see what David did after he fell into it. But then let's look at God's or God's response in David. Because like I said, one of these goals, the goals of the series is for us to learn about God, right? To learn about who he is in our faith. So the first truth that I see from this passage is that God hates. That God hates. Look at verse 27 of 2 Samuel 11. It says this, And when the morning was passed, David sent and fetched her, her to his house, and she became his wife, and bare him a son. But David's covered, right? Uriah is dead. Nobody suspects a thing. Now Bathsheba is his wife, and so when she has the baby, nobody is going to think anything of it. But look at the last phrase. But the thing David had done displeased 
Not it displeased Uriah's family. Not it displeased Bathsheba. Not it displeased the servant that, that was trying to tell him to do the right thing. No, the thing displeased the Lord. Look, God hates sin. And we say that, but I don't think that we get the weight of that. Because a lot of times when we say, hey, look, God hates sin, most of the time when we say that, we're talking about somebody else's sin, right? Like Gabby and I, the other day, we were driving past, we're, get, we're going back home after church, and there was an LGBT rally, right, going on over by um, over by me, right? There's people all with the rainbow flags, like waving, you know, every everything, right? Like the whole nine yards, the rainbow flags, the rainbow shirts, rainbow pants, shoes, like everything, right? And there's this huge LGBT, and, and I, I kind of like got in my flesh a little bit. I was like, man, it's so terrible, and, and it's disgusting, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm going through this thing in my mind, and I, I said, hey, hang on, hang on. And the Holy Spirit kind of smote my heart, because just as much, look, 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 this is important for you to get, look, just as much as God hates homosexuality, God hates my pride, just as these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination, personally, a crowd. Right? God hates it when you're prideful, just as much as he hates it when somebody has a relationship, when a man has a relationship with another man. And as I'm thinking, I was like, man, man, God hates that. God hates that. And, and, and then I thought, well, God hates my sin. Not God hates, not God hates sin. God hates my sin. God hates, like, hates your sin. Like, hates it enough that he won't let you into heaven and you will spend an eternity burning in hell because of it. Not God hates their sin. Think about this. God hates your sin. Think about the last time you sinned. It was probably today. Think about it. God hated it. Not it. He didn't like it. No, he hated it. Like it made him sick. <laughs> and here's the thing. The reason God hates it is because he knows what it leads. The Bible says this in James 1. It says when most, some people actually believe that when James wrote this verse, he was directly referencing this story. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth. Right, David, he had a lust. He had a desire to have something that God didn't give to him. He had a lust, and that lust led to sin. And then the verse says, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth. And for David, literally, did. Not just for Uriah, but David's son died because of David's sin, always to death. It leads to death of relationships, it leads to death of marriages, it leads, it leads to death. Like, not one person in the history of time has ever died that sin was not the reason for it. Whether it was their sin, whether it was somebody else's sin, or whether it was Adam and Eve's sin, because sin causes death. Death would not exist if sin wasn't here. God hates it because of what it is. That's why God, look, that's why God can hate the sin, but love the sinner. Because God doesn't just hate sin because he hates sin. He hates sin because it's destroying. He hates sin because because he wants to have a relationship with you, and he know he knows he can't because of your sin. Like God desperately wants to have a relationship with you and to see you in heaven for all of eternity, but he knows he can't because of your sin, and so he hates it. He hates what it's doing to him. He hate he hates the division that it causes him. He hates the friendships that are broken. Everything about sin, God. Hates. So we know from the story that God hates sin. But then also, it's not the only thing. We do. The second thing I see from the story is that God doesn't need us to fix it. I want everybody to take your Bible. I'm almost done. Take your Bible. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. David, most people believe, right after this whole thing happened. And, and after this happens, right, David, he, he, he the, the prophet Samuel, he comes into David and he tells him this parable, right, of, of the shepherd. And he says, hey, David, there was this guy who owned all of these sheep, right? He owned hundreds of sheep. And, and, then, and then he saw one boy who had one sheep and he took that sheep from that boy 
for himself. And David, being a shepherd, being someone who had dealt with cattle his entire life, he was like, you know what? Take, get, bring that person here and kill that person. Like, we're, we're like, don't, like, get rid of him because it angered David. And Samuel looks at David and he says, David, like, that's what you did. And David, I mean, can you imagine? Up until this point, David, David doesn't, David thinks nobody knows. And then Samuel looks at him and he says, David, you are the man. David's like, taking that. So now David knows what he needs to do. Because he knows now that God saw what he did. And so David goes to God. And Psalm 51 is David's prayer after he, after he commits it. But I want you to look at verse 16. Because throughout this passage, David's saying, you know, God, purify my heart, cleanse me, make me pure, forgive me, like begging God for forgiveness. But in verse number 16, it says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou, delight, thou delightest not in burnt offering. David says, look, God, if you wanted me to go out and kill something to pay for my sin, then I would do it. If you wanted me to go out and grab the most expensive like horse and kill it, I would do it. If you wanted me to, to give everything I had and, 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 and pay for my own sins, God, I would do it. But that's not what you want. And this next verse, verse 17, tells us what God wants when we give him to our own. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken conscience, O God, that will but when you give in to your own, and when you commit a sin because you wanted something that God has not chosen to give to you, God's desire for you then is to hate your sin. Like come to a point where you are broken about your sin. Because God's desire, after you fail, after you, after you fail him, his desire is not for you to then go and fix yourself. Because a lot of us believe that we have to fix ourselves before we come back to God, and that's backwards. And it's a lie from Satan. Because God does not want you to fix yourself before you come to Him. He wants you to come to Him so that He can fix you. Not the other way. But you won't come to Him unless you begin to fix Like when you sin, think about how God... And if you truly want a relationship with God, you'll begin to hate your sin. Just probably not. But you'll hate your sin because it's hurting your... You'll hate your sin because it's hurting your wife or your husband. You'll hate your sin because it's hurting your relationships with your friends. You'll hate your sin because that's God's desire. God just wants it. Not the people that are that God's desire for me, when I saw that rally going, was not for me to get out of the car and go up. And God wants me to hate, but not rail on me. So I wonder, what's your love? What is that thing that you have a deep desire that God has not chosen? And you dwell on it, and you meditate, and you're like, man, God, I wish I had that, I wish I had that, and you know that it's wrong. You dwell in lust. What's your love? Maybe some of you right now, you're in the cover-up. You're in the stage where David was, when he tried to cover up as, as much as possible. And some of you, First of all, you need to confess it to God. And some of you need to pull somebody aside from somebody that you trust, somebody that, that, that you can confide in and say, look, hey, can you pray for me? I'm struggling with this. You know, help me. Maybe some of you, you just need to say, God, come back to it. Some of you, you've been living with this guilt so much, like down deep in your heart, that you don't even want to pray. You don't want to read the Bible because you feel so dirty and disgusting. And you feel like you can't go to God because you feel like, man, I need to fix myself before I go back to God. I mean, the Holy Spirit spoke to me tonight, and you know, I need to go to God so that he can I need to go to God because and you need to get sick and tired of yourself. Just go to him and run back to him, open arms, like he'll receive you just like he did the prodigal. So what are you gonna do about it? You go to God again. Because the more that you try, the more that you try to touch the worst, and the more relationship. Father, thank you for preserving